Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, this weekend we're starting a brand new series. Uh, the best time to join any conversation is right at the beginning. So this is a wonderful time to be here with us. Um, if at any point you get kind of off, you need to miss a week or whatever, just a reminder, you can catch up with all of that stuff on the app online. That's also a great place where you can stay in contact with your your life group. It's a place that many people choose to give that way. Um, and if I can, just place in front of the body a need here as we approach the end of our calendar year. You know, one of the things that we've never had to do here as a culture is we don't pass a plate. We don't intend to start. We do have a basket or a box at the back. Some people choose to give that way. But just as we think about the end of your year, ask you to be praying as we want to meet our financial goals here as well. And even invite you, if you've never done that, if you've never stepped into giving as a form of worship, I'm going to boldly ask you to consider that, and here's why. Because I know, and every Christmas I come to this realization that these things that I just want my kids to have, that I want to have, it's usually by the end of the week, maybe the end of the month, before they're broken, they're in the corner, they're unused. These things we strive for just don't last. I find myself loving to get things that last, one of those things for me this last uh, Father's Day is um, I, had, I had been on this online community. It was called Buy It For Life, and they talk about products that just last forever, right? Quality-made products, and one of those was a Stanley thermos, the green Stanley thermos that your dad probably went to work with, with like with soup in it, right? I love my Stanley thermos. I just bought one for my daughter's birthday. It's so wonderful. It feels like it lasts forever, and I know that even something as well-made as my Stanley thermos won't last forever, But you know what Jesus tells us? He tells us that when we lay up our treasures in heaven, that's something that won't rust, that we can actually invest in God's kingdom, invest in eternity. And so I'm gonna invite you into that, knowing that you could spend your money on anything that won't last. This is something that helps impact God's kingdom. Now, here's here's what I wanna tell you. Many people, as they step into that, they think, well, you're just trying to meet your own needs. And look, even if you don't give to our church, give to any church, And I would say this as well, that I believe God, I know God will meet all of our needs as we give to his kingdom in the middle of all of that. And I would say if someone's like, I don't know if this is the thing for me, I don't know if I can swing it, I would say step into obedience and watch God provide for you. I believe he'll do that in a big way. And he'll provide for our church as well as we are looking at the horizon saying, God, provide for us a forever home. We know that as we make those decisions, we're gonna have to step up to some of those needs as a church body. We're going to start into this series, and I think that it's a series that's going to be helpful for you no matter where you're at in your faith journey. If you're someone that's like, you know, I don't even know if I'm a Christian, I don't know if I believe this or not, I think this is something that you're going to be able to apply in your life in a a big way. I think it's going to be helpful for you. But as we get into this, here's what I'm going to say, that nothing that I'm going to tell you is new or is going to shock you. Nothing is going to be profound, but here's what I know to be true in my life. Many times I need to be reminded more than I am taught. Many times I need to be reminded about something I know to be true more than I need to get some sort of new information nugget. I think that this is a series that's going to have a big payoff in the long run as we engage a topic, this topic of gratitude, of thankfulness, and of contentment. I think it will yield us great things. 
I think as I, as I consider people around me, there are certain characteristics I see in others that I would say, you know what, I wish this was true about me. I wish this was true about me when I look at how someone engages in the world and they seem like a person that just has patience. Like, they can go through all sorts of challenging things and when I see how they navigate that, I'm like, how are they so patient? Like, I would have strangled the person by then and yet they can navigate that and just keep their calm, keep their cool. Maybe it's not patience for you. Maybe it's generosity. This is a person who never seems to be tight-fisted. They just give of themselves freely, and you're like, I don't understand how you do that. I wish I had more of that in my life. Maybe it's not generosity. Maybe it's empathy. This is a person who can step into a relationship with someone and deeply feel at their point of need and connect with them at a deep and profound level. And you're like, man, I care about the person, but you know, I just never feel like I can connect with them at that level. How is it that you're able to do that? I wish it was true about me. Or maybe for you, you would look at it and you would say it's kindness or it's a person that's very, very gentle in how they interact with someone, or someone who has great intelligence, or maybe they have tremendous wisdom, and they can just always seem to make the right kind of decisions. Whatever it is, you would look at someone else, and you would say, that's a characteristic trait that I wish was true about me. I know for me, one of the traits that I, I want to be true about me is as people would look at me, they would say, this is a person who does what he knows to be right, even when it's hard, or even when maybe it's not a popular thing to do, he's going to choose to take the route that's the right thing to do. And I, and, I, and I would look at someone else that always just seems to make the right decisions, always seems to make the principal decisions, and I would say, they must be an Enneagram number one. I'm an Enneagram three. I wish I could have more of that in my life. You don't know what Enneagram is? Just look it up on a podcast. You'll find it out real quick. Right? It's this personality profile. This person just always does this principal decision. I want that to be true for me. I bet if all of us were honest, I think we would say that if we were to consider one of those characteristic traits that when someone looked at you, they would look at you and they say, this is a person who is always grateful. This is a person who is always thankful, that they have an attitude of gratitude and that because of that, they're able to navigate life in such a way. They don't take life for granted. That they have a way of, of seeing life that gives them energy, gives them passion. They're able to go through challenging things. And they always just seem to have kind of like this, the cup is half full, like those kinds of people. Gratitude is one of those things that when we see them in other people, we say that is attractive and it's powerful and I wish it were true about me. So what I thought we would do is we're going to take a number of weeks and we're going to look at this topic of gratitude, of contentment, of thankfulness, and we're going to ask the question, what does it look like? How do we spell that out? What is the effect of that in our lives? What is the source of that gratitude? And maybe even what are some of those obstacles that you and I might encounter on a daily and a weekly basis that get in the way of our contentment? But here's what I'd like to do. As we start talking about this topic, let's make sure we're all on the same page for this, this thing called thankfulness. What does it even mean? I'd like to submit to you this definition here of gratitude. That gratitude is thankfulness, gratefulness, contentment, joy, peace, and overall positivity. It's Thankfulness. It shows up with people that are just thankful. They're thankful for the opportunities that they have. They're thankful for their house. They're thankful for their children. They're thankful for their spouses. And not only are they thankful internally, not only do they have this disposition of their soul, but it, it is something that is expressed 
in this, in this aspect of, of gratitude, of gratefulness. It moves from just saying, I feel it, and it goes to the sense that I'm going to show it, I'm going to express it. They move from simply being thankful to being grateful as they express it. And as that's true, it's something that they end up having joy in their life. They have contentment for them. It's not like, hey, more, 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 more. I just need more. They know when enough is enough. And because of that, they end up having not just a look back at what they've already had, but they say, I'm going to look forward and whatever I have is going to be enough. And it shows up in this aspect of contentment. And because of that, they have a unique ability to go through these challenges in life with great and abiding sense of joy. A great and abiding sense of joy. Of joy, and it's bigger than just happiness, but it's an enthusiasm about life. Because of that, they, they know that no matter what happens, whether life is good or whether life is challenging, that they can have an internal sense of peace because of it. And then because of that, there's just like an overall positivity. The glass is, is half full. And they have this feeling of, you know what, it's gonna work out. I have this deep sense of, of trust. Here's what I've learned. Now, doesn't that sound like the kind of existence that we would love to have? Like, that's what I want to have in my life. And here's what I found. When, when you find someone that has contentment and joy and thankfulness and gratitude, they are just easier to do life with, aren't they? Those are the kinds of people that you want to be around. They're the kind of people you want your son or your daughter to marry. They're the kinds of people that you want to be your in-laws, right? They're the kinds of people that you want to be your boss because no one wants to have the boss that's constantly complaining about everything, right? These are the kinds of people, they have an attitude of gratitude. You want them to be your roommate. You want them to be your coworker. And let's be honest, when you're around that person and everything they do is just complain, and complain and complain. You just kind of want to punch him in the face, don't you? Like, I love you in the name of Jesus, but right now you're driving me nuts. Like, I need you not in my space right now. Because they frustrate you. They're cynical. Everything is always bad. There's always a sense of bitterness. When you find a person that is thankful and grateful, this is the kind of person that you're like, I want to go on an eight-hour car ride with them because they have a way of picking me up and carrying me along. They're better to do life with. Now, if you're engaging with this and you're, and you're not a Christian, man, I think there's going to be a lot of helpful things as we just think about the blessings that we have in cultivating this attitude of gratitude. But here, listen to me. If you're a Christian, this isn't just something that should be, that could be. You know, it would, it's not just this would be nice if it were true about us. If we're a Christian, this is something that ought to be. It ought to be true about us. In fact, I would say it this way, that it should be a mark of us if we are a Christian because it's something that is written all over the scriptures. Listen to what David says in Psalm 118. He says that this is a day the Lord has made, that everything that's gonna occur in this day has been ordained. God is over it. God is through it. And because of that, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rejoice in it. I'm gonna find joy in it. I'm gonna give gratitude and thankfulness because of it. The very first reason that we should have gratefulness is because God woke you up today and God blessed you with breath and life. He gave you something to navigate every day. 
He gave you his grace. He says, I'm going to let you breathe today. Every day is a gift. That's why in Kung Fu Panda, he says every day is a gift. That's why they call it the present, right? David also says this in Psalm 107. He says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Not only did God give you life, but God is good and he loves you with an everlasting kind of love. He provides for you. He nurtures you. This kind of love that the psalmist is talking about is an Old Testament Hebrew word called the hesed love, the steadfast faithfulness of God. That's the God that we serve. So we can have gratitude for our life, but not only does he just give us life, he is good to us. And then in 2 Thessalonians, this is, what, this is what Paul has to say. He says that we should be grateful because of other people. He says we ought always to, give thank, uh, to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so because your faith is growing more and more and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Paul would say, look, when I step back and I look at other Christians who are choosing to love one another and serve one another and be vulnerable with one another, what that causes me to do when I'm in fellowship with other Christians is it causes causes me to give thanks and praise to God because I'm connected with a body that's bigger than just me. So as we see the church grow, we should be filled with gratitude as we serve one another. Paul says this. <clears throat> he, says, he says something in Philippians that should just kind of rock all of our world. This is what he says. He says, do everything, do everything without complaining, without grumbling, now, some of you right now want to take out your phones and take a screenshot of that and send it to your teenagers right now, right? But, but it's equally true for us. Paul says this, that if you're a Christian, that the way that you interact with the world is that you're not a grumbler, that you're not a complainer, that you're not one of those people that's just kind of mouthing off about everything that's wrong with your boss all the time when you're at work. You're not complaining about the weather. You're not complaining about traffic every day that you have to go. But that as you navigate through life, you're not known as a, gri a griper, a complainer. But you're known as someone who is thankful. Paul says it further in Ephesians 5. He says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look, in every situation, in every situation we find ourselves. And this is true when it's a positive experience. And it's true when it's a negative experience that we should be giving thanks to God for it because everything we have is a gift from him. And just, and just in case that didn't hit us between the eyes here, listen, he's going to pound a little further in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. He says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And he says, look, in, in all circumstances, not in some circumstances, not when you get the raise, but when it didn't go so good. And you might think, yeah, but you don't understand. You've never had to, you've never had to vacation with my mother-in-law, right? You've never had to deal with this belligerent uncle that I have to deal with. You don't have the kids that I have. Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because he says this, he says, it's God's will for you. It's his will for me. You know how many times I, people will say, I just want to know what God's will is. God, show up through the, the whistling wind through the leaves. I just need to know what you want from me. God, please just speak to me. He tells us right here what his will for us is. Before you seek out God's, God's will anywhere else, you need to seek it out in his scripture. And he says that we should be known as people who have an attitude of gratitude. Whether good or bad, high or low, whether winning or losing, we are giving thanks. 
So what is, what is Scripture driving to here? What I said before, I'll say it again, that gratitude should be the mark of God's people. Gratitude should be the mark of, gra- of God's people. Listen, if you're not a Christian and you're here, man, we're glad you're here. I think you're going to get something out of it. But for those of us that have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, for those of us who would look back over our lives and say, I can see the the potholes of my past. I can see the skeletons I would rather keep in that closet. I can see the times that I've lost it and the times that anyone around me should lose faith in me. And in spite of all of those things, God chose to give his grace to me in the person of Jesus Christ and say that my sins have been forgiven and nullified. Not only that, but I've been given the righteousness of Christ. For those of us that are in Christ Jesus, we have more of a reason to have great gratitude than anybody does because we've been loved by God. And because of that, should change the way we conduct our lives. I wonder how many of us, when we look at our lives and we look at the things that we're enthusiastic and we're passionate and we're like just shaking our fist with a joy over, how many of us do that because of the 23-year-old dribbling a ball down the street or because of a politician or this one or that one, right? But Paul tells us this, the Bible tells us this, that of all the things that should give us joy, it's the fact that our sins have been forgiven. It's because of what God has done in us. And more than the enthusiasm about who the politician is or our team, whether or not they're losing, we should have gratitude. We should have joy. That should be the the defining trait of who we are. And you might think, you know what? I, I, that's, I know that's true. I want that to be true for me. But there are just times when my heart starts to drift, where I start casting my gaze in a different direction, and I just have a hard time hanging on to the kind of gratitude that I want to have true in my life. Isn't it true that many times when we hang out with other people, even people that say they're Christ followers, so many of our comments that we have for one another is just complaining. Complaining about something. Complaining about the HOA. I can't believe they won't let me do this thing with my fence. Complaining about my boss. Complaining about this coach who won't put my kid in on the team. And obviously my kid's better than that kid. And I don't understand why they get more, te- why, more game time than I do. Why do we do that? Because... It's just easier to complain. It's the path of least resistance. Just this week, I stepped into rehearsal, and Amanda asked me, how are you today? And I was like, it's Thursday night. It's dark at 7, and it's raining outside, right? It's just easier to complain. It's the path of least resistance, right? Like, I see this all the time as, like, I've worked with young, particularly, like, elementary-age students, like, how are you? Oh, I can't believe this person at school did this thing. And it's just easier to be, uh, to, to complain. And I think we do that because maybe we think if I just complain loud enough, the circumstances will change. But here's what I know to be true. Usually that's not the case, right? But when we choose an attitude of gratitude, it might not change the circumstances, but here's what it does. It changes our hearts, and allows us to press in to difficult things with endurance. But the problem with thankfulness is it takes thoughtfulness, and it takes discipline. So it's so easy to drift from it. It's so easy to to drift from that. Here's what I wanna do 
as we start to think about how we're going to go from this place where it's just easy to complain to where we can have an attitude of gratitude. I want to start here with a a, a little bit of a reality check, and it's going to sound kind of negative, but I don't mean it to be negative. And it's this simple reality. It's this simple reality that God doesn't owe you anything. That God doesn't owe me anything. It's this huge reality check that we have to come to grips with this reality that God doesn't owe me something. And when I live in this world that's very man-centric, it's as if I'm at the center of the universe and we simply are not. And so what we do is when we, <clears throat> when we are man-centric like that, we have our hands out and we say, God, give me what I'm due. Like, I want my 401k to be stocked. I want my car to be running. God, I am owed this thing. I want to go to, uh, to Disney World. Look, the reality is God doesn't owe us anything because we're not at the center of the universe. He doesn't even owe us Jesus who he chose to give to us. And listen, do we really want to be in the business of telling God that we want what we deserve? Think about it. If God gave us what we really deserved we would be crushed under the weight of that. We don't even deserve Jesus who he gave to us. Here's the principle. Here's the principle I want to get at that lies underneath underneath all of this. That gratitude begins when entitlement ends. Gratitude begins when entitlement ends. When you realize that you're not owned, owed anything and everything you get is grace and it's so much easier to have an attitude of gratitude. We see this, and parents, you see this. When you have kids, and it's Christmas time, it's just around the corner, you've experienced this. You watch your kid, and they sit there, and maybe there's multiple children in the room, and it's like one kid has a pile of presents, yay big, and the other kid has a pile of presents, yay big, and they open this present, and they rip through it, and then they're just like, where's my next one? Like, your next one? And you just kind of like want to, you want to say like, all right, get out of the house. I'm taking Christmas away from you. They can't even stop to be grateful for what they have. They have a sense of entitlement. Gratitude begins when entitlement ends. And when I expect and I deserve nothing, everything that I get then is grace. Everything that I get is sugar on top. It's more than I deserve. Isn't it interesting that the person who is most ungrateful is the person whose birthday it is, right? Like they go through this day and they're like, it needs, to, it needs to feel a certain way. I need to experience a certain amount of gratitude from my coworkers for my existence. And then at the end of the day, they're like, I didn't get the thing. No one said happy birthday to me. I can't believe it. I didn't get this many posts that mission me happy birthday on Facebook. Like the person who is most entitled is the person that's the birthday. But think about this. If it's not your birthday... And five people came up to you that day and said, I just want to tell you, I appreciate you. I'm glad you're in my life. And someone gave you a gift, you'd be like, this is the best day ever. I can't believe it. Someone made me a cake and brought it to me. Why do all these, it's the person who feels the most entitled that has the hardest time being grateful. But when you don't expect it, your only response is, I didn't, where did this, how did, I didn't deserve this. Why is this in my life? When I expect And when I'd say I deserve nothing, everything I get is grace. And listen, this is, nothing is more true in this area than when it comes to our salvation. Jesus didn't have to come, but God, because of his steadfast, hesed love for us, said, I'm going to pursue them, and I'm going to give them not what they deserve. And he, and he, here's the thing about God's amazing grace. 
that even though we didn't deserve it, every single day, every single day, his grace is made new to us. And he pours it out and his mercies are new. And he's steadfast with us and he pours it out and he pours it out. What I want to do is I want to tell you a story that I think so beautifully shows this attitude of gratitude in a woman who experienced the kind of forgiveness from Jesus that radically changed how she reacted to the world around her. And the thing is, her story is so powerful that 2,000 years later, we're sitting here and we're going to tell the story about her attitude of gratitude. And so I want to encourage you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 7. Now listen, church family, have a Bible. (laughs) Open it. Don't let it get dusty. If you want one, we've got stacks of them over there. They're a gift to you. Open the Bible. Yes, we show it here, but you need to be able to navigate it on your own as well. And I want to share this story with you. It's so powerful. One of my most precious um, stories in Scripture. In Luke 7, verse 36 is where we'll spend the rest of our time. Talk about enthusiasm, man. I don't know what they're up to down there. It says this. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, Pause. So what happened? Why, who was this Pharisee? Why was he inviting him? Well, the Pharisees were the kind of the highest level of like establishment and just dignity within a community. And so they would have been known within their community as someone who would dispense wisdom and often look and search out wisdom. So what would happen is there would be these traveling teachers who would go from village to village and the rabbi of that town would say, hey, you're coming into town. I'd love to have you over to my home. Let's talk about the Torah. Let's talk about the law of Moses. And so Doug would come over to my house and I would say, tell me what you know of Ezekiel. And Doug would tell me and we would talk and it would, people would gather around and it was an open forum for people to hear about these things of faith. And so as Jesus, this traveling teacher who was kind of gaining a lot of popularity, if people were saying this man speaks with authority, he shows up and this Pharisee says, hey, you come to my home And that's what we get to kind of drop into here as we see this scene unfolding. It says that Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And don't think like a high table. Think like a a table maybe that they would lay at and there would be some cushions on the floor. And so they were all leaning in with their long robes on and their feet were laid behind them. And they're talking at this table. And this thing happens while they're there. It says, a woman in that town who led a sinful life Learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. When it said that she led a sinful life, what are we talking about here? She squandered her money on the lotto tickets. You know, she got a couple speeding tickets and she was known as like the town drunk. Probably not. In a small community where everyone grew up together, maybe you can identify with this. You know that person in high school that was loose with their morals and just slept around and you'd find yourself saying I've lived in town with this person my whole life and I know what kind of person they are and what they've done so she was a woman of ill repute a sinful woman most likely could have lived a life of prostitution and what would that mean in that kind of environment it would mean that she was a person that was regularly used and abused discarded trashed, marginalized, pushed off to the side, certainly never given a seat at a place of honor, certainly never welcomed into the courts of the temple and say, hey, come learn about the Torah. What are you talking about? You you, you don't care about the Torah. That's not who you are. And yet she has some exposure. Something happens to her 
that she comes in and she learns that Jesus is, is there. And so in this open forum at a place where she would normally be cast aside, she boldly steps up and she brings with her this alabaster jar of perfume. Now, at this time, they certainly wouldn't have made perfume like they do now with like 95% alcohol uh, cheap, right? This would have been very, very expensive stuff. And this jar of alabaster perfume, not only was it worth a tremendous amount of money, but it was possibly also how she would earn her living. As a woman of ill repute, it was an important part of the tools of her trade. Listen to what she did with it. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Why did she do that? Because something about Jesus took this woman and gave her dignity and worth when no one else would. And we really can't overstate this, just how unique it was at a time when women were typically property to be used. They weren't allowed to vote. They weren't allowed to receive an inheritance. And yet Jesus, the Son of God, stepped in and gave women dignity. You want to know where that thought process of all people are created equal comes from? It comes from a Judeo-Christian worldview that would say we're all made in the image of God. And Jesus would say this, this young daughter of God is worthy of dignity and honor And she experienced that for maybe the first time in her life since she was a little girl. Could you imagine everywhere you go feeling the cloak of shame, just wanting to be accepted? And now she comes into a space and she has this person that's so powerful and so influential who's willing to give her the time of day. And what does it do? It it undoes her and she just starts weeping. And as she weeps, it falls upon Jesus' feet. See, Jesus wouldn't have had a nice pair of Air Jordans to protect his feet as he walked down the the dung-covered streets where the donkeys had already walked. His feet would have been filthy. And so as they reclined at a table low on the ground, they would keep their feet far away from the food. Why? Because they were probably rather dirty. And yet what does she do? She wets his feet with her tears and takes her hair. I imagine it was also a part of how she would attract men and would wipe off the feet of Jesus. It was this radical sign of gratitude and thankfulness from someone who had so experienced the grace of Jesus. And then look at the response of the Pharisee. This is fascinating. The Pharisee who had invited him saw this, and he said to himself, he says to himself, okay, think about this, he thinks this, if this man were a prophet, He would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. I've seen how she lives. I grew up with her. She was the one that slept around. I did it right. She did it wrong. Jesus, why are you giving her the time of day? Which, by the way, as an aside, be very suspicious of people who know a lot but love a little. And listen to how Jesus responds. Jesus answers him. So Jesus knew what he was thinking. Jesus answers him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. 
You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and he said to Simon, the Pharisee, do you you see this woman? I, I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet. You didn't clean off all of the stuff that was on my feet. But look at what she did. She wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. And this caused quite an upstir, because he was a teacher, sure, but he spoke with such authority. He turns around and he says, your sins are forgiven. No one can do that but God himself. And they say that. Who even is this who can forgive sins? And Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. So we have these two people in the presence of Christ. The Pharisees, the ones who were entitled to the gracious presence of Jesus, and then there was this woman who was exceedingly sinful. I want you to think about her for a moment, her posture. She didn't come in and she wasn't entitled. I deserve this. She didn't think that at all. She just came in and she said, Jesus, I don't deserve your presence. I'm not going to make demands of you. I just, I just want to be with you. I just want to experience you. She was overwhelmed by his grace. And when she looked around, she didn't have a spirit of what she was entitled to. She was simply undone with how much she had been forgiven. Now listen, if we don't want to miss God's grace, we have to open our eyes to see God's grace. Because here's what I know to be true. When you stop to see God's grace, it's gonna lead to showing gratitude in your life. Seeing grace leads to growth growing in gratitude. But you've got to see the grace, though, because if you don't see this, look, if you don't see this, don't miss this. If you don't do that, it's going to lead you to becoming judgmental and cynical like this Pharisee was. But when you see it, it's going to lead you to being a person of gratitude. And this woman anointing Jesus' feet, we don't even know her name, but here we are 2,000 years later telling about her uh, amazing act of worship and gratitude. It shows us that there's a direct tie between our ability to see the grace of God through Jesus and forgiveness in him and the kind of gratitude and thankfulness and contentment and joy that can flow out of us. In fact, here's another way to say it. When you see it, you'll be it. When you see God's grace, you'll be grateful. Here's an illustration that maybe can help us unpack what this means. Let's say you left here tonight and you, uh, you know, you're, you're on your way home and, and you say something dumb, you offend your spouse or your roommate or your kids or something like that, you do something stupid at the restaurant and you end up getting it wrong and you offend the person and the per- person then turns to you and says, I'm going to choose to forgive you. I'm going to give you grace. I'm, gonna, it's, I'm forgiving you. It's okay. They give you grace, they accept your problems unto themselves, they absorb it, and they're gonna say, we're gonna move on with things. Now here's the thing, if you know that you, that you were wrong, you screwed up, they didn't have to forgive you, but they did, the rest of that afternoon, you're gonna be gracious to them, 
You're going to be kind to them. You're going to know that you're an idiot, that they forgave you. And you're going to be like, hey, what can I get for you? I'll buy you an ice cream cone. How can I serve you? You've been so kind to me. I'm sorry I did that. Like, it's going to fuel gratitude and thankfulness for you. But if you're an idiot and they forgive you and you're saying, well, of course they should forgive me. I mean, look at what I did earlier in the week for them. I mean, I deserve this. I do this. I'm married to them. They have to forgive me. Of course she should forgive me like that. Last week I forgave her, so she owes me one. And, and the thing is like, don't act like sometimes we don't do that because we do, right? But that act of entitlement affects our attitude of grace and thanksgiving. If we have an attitude that says, I don't see their forgiveness of me as grace, then I guarantee that the way that you handle that situation is going to show up in your attitude of gratitude. You'll be grumpy, you'll be frustrated, you'll be irritable. You'll lose joy in the midst of all of that. So if you see it, and that's the reality, if you see it, you're more likely to be it. Seeing grace leads to showing gratitude. The grace of God that we get to experience all the time, the fact that we have heat in the middle of winter, the fact that we have roofs under our heads, the fact that when I open my closet, I can say, which piece of clothes am I going to wear today? The fact that we can turn on the computer or the TV and say, oh, there's nothing to watch when there's literally thousands of movies to watch, right? I have a house for my car that it parks in overnight. Like we are in the top 1% of the world. How would it change the way that we live when we realize how blessed we are compared to so many people across the world, that we are amazingly privileged. And the greatest gift that we have is not a house for our car or the clothes that we have, but it's the fact that we have an eternity of paradise with a God that loves us and says, I saw your past. I know what you did in high school. I know the skeletons are there, and I'm choosing to love you and give you forgiveness the same. And now you get to have eternity and paradise with me. Above everything that we could experience in this world, that alone makes us the most blessed people around, and that should lead us to gratitude. Let me ask you this question. How would the quality of your life change if you were known as one of those people of contentment, of joy, of overall positivity, of thankfulness, of gratefulness? How would your witness and your ability to, to tell people about Jesus change if when they encountered you at school and at the workplace and in your neighborhood, you weren't constantly talking about the rainy weather on a Thursday afternoon, but you were just saying, man, God, you are so good to me. What if our church was marked by people who, like this woman, were feet kissers, who simply come to God and come to Jesus and worship in light of the gospel and just fall down in worship? This, uh, a week or two ago, I was at the chiropractor and I was getting my back adjusted. It's a new doctor and he says, how are you today? And the default answer I give everyone is I'm blessed beyond measure because it's true whether I feel great or whether I feel poorly. Now, this is a side, but one time I said that and this lady at church said, you're stressed and displeasured. I said, but no, I'm blessed beyond measure. And, and he said that the chiropractor, as I said that, I think it caught him off guard and he said, what's the secret? Never, no one's ever asked me that before. And I said, well, I, I think the secret is that you're just grateful for what you have. And you start the day out feeling thankful. 
And he goes, you know what, I think you're right. And actually, that's something I, he says, I do that every morning. Before I put my shoes on, I think about five things that I'm grateful for. He says, it has a way of steering my day. I thought that was a great idea. And so what I wanted to put us forward as a way that we can that we can step up. We'll talk about how we can step up and how we can dig in here. We'll step up, and the challenge that I want to put in front of us is that we would spend the next 12 days, and every day you would think of something significant. Maybe it's not, you know, your number two pencil that's in your hand or something like that, but think of something significant that you would post on social media and say, 12 days of thankfulness, today I'm thankful for. And if you're not connected on social and internet stuff, that's fine, just Text some friends, email somebody, write it in your journal, post it on your, on your refrigerator, something like that. 12 days of thankfulness and see how that small thing starts to change your heart and steer your heart in the direction of having an attitude of gratitude. That's how we can step up. And then I want to challenge you to dig in and go a level deeper. One of the things that I post in our app every week are some dig-in questions that you around your uh, dining room table with your family, uh, on your own in devotions, maybe in your life group, you can process through some of these things that we've talked about with some deeper questions where you can enter into God's word and just process it outside of our time here together. You can dig in weekly with that opportunity. Let me invite the worship team up. You guys have the 12-day challenge. We're going to respond just by saying, God, thank you for the 10,000 reasons we have to be thankful for. Let me pray. And actually, let's stand together, everybody. Let's stand together. And in a heart of uh, gratitude and worship before God, let's have a moment where we can just express that to him. God, thank you. Um, Even in this space, God, would we start by significantly considering that we're not owed anything, that everything that we have, God, is so much more than what many others across the world would love to have. Many of us throw food away when it goes sour. That seems like an unbelievable provision, things that we just take for granted. So God, in this moment, in these times, we just stop to say thank you, Jesus, for your great grace for us for your kindness and your mercy above everything else, God, that that you would be so steadfast in your love for us, that you would send Jesus to make a way for us to be right with you. Thank you, God. Help us all to grow in this attitude of gratitude, this area of thankfulness, contentment, and joy. God, that this Thanksgiving, that it can resonate deeply in our hearts. We love you, Jesus. We praise you and pray this in Christ's name. Amen.